This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello, I'm Bobby McCumber and this is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Today, we're taking you to the deepest known part of the ocean. Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench is located in the waters of the Federated States of Micronesia, 11 kilometres below the surface. Yet not a single Micronesian had ever been there. Enter Nicole Yamase. In 2021, she became the first Pacific Islander to reach that point. And for context, more people have been to the moon than to Challenger Deep. It's three times deeper than the Titanic wreck and deeper than Everest is tall. But it wasn't the dangerous dive that intimidated Nicole. It was the responsibility and weight that came with making history. Dr Yamasi, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Nicole, I'd love to start with your mother's clan. What beliefs and customs have you inherited from her? Yeah, so I'm from the island of Pohnpei in the Federated States of Micronesia. So we are a matrilineal uh, clan, a matrilineal culture. And so I inherit my clan from my mother's side. She's from the clan Tipwinwai, and that's the, the clan of the stingrays. Um, in Pohnpei, they're known or called Nono and Nanset. That means mother of the ocean. And so in, in short, our legend is that when a woman is in labor when she's ready to give birth she would go and sit in the ocean and the the waves and the water would help ease her pain help bring her comfort and when she gives birth the stingray would come and catch the baby on its back and then it would use its umbilical cord I'm sorry it's its stinger its tail to cut the umbilical cord and then it would give the baby back to its mother so while the mother is taking care of the baby the stingray would go and hunt for fish and bring it to the mother to help feed her so that she has the nutrients and strength she needs to take care of the child. And so it's from those actions of, you know, being a midwife and helping the the mother take care of their child is what why they got the, the name Nono and Nanset, Mother of the Ocean. Oh, that's fascinating. How much strength do you think that background gave you? I think that gave me a lot of strength, especially knowing how connected I am as a Micronesian to the ocean, knowing that the stingray, my mother's clan, Dipinwai, was the one who helped basically help give birth to to Punapeans because of its because the stingray was able to help the mother during a crucial time, the birth of the birth of the child, but also the thought, you know, women in Pohnpei culture have a lot of power, very powerful because they are the ones who birth the chiefs. And so that really gives me strength, you know, that strength and pride knowing that our culture really uplifts women. Is this where your connection with the sea started? 
It started when I was younger, I think, because I grew up across the Micronesia region. Um, I was born in Pompeii, but because of my dad's job, we moved across the region. I've lived in Pompeii, in the Republic of Palau, in Saipan, the Commonwealth of the Northern Marianas Islands, and in Chuuk. So growing up, I, I had a childhood just full of ocean memories. My dad was was the ocean lover, and so Every weekend, almost every weekend growing up, we would be in the water. We would go out to the outer islands and snorkel and swim. If not in the ocean, we'd be at the rivers. So my dad um, had background in marine biology. So when we would snorkel, he would always point out, oh, this is this coral. This is this fish. This is this algae. And just growing up and seeing, sharing those memories and having those experiences with him, all of us being together in the water, learning and absorbing all this, this knowledge that he would pass on. But being able to also, I guess, take, share that passion with him. I, I'm the only one in marine biology, but um, <laughs> yeah, just having that moment and sharing it with my dad has always been something really special to me. Um, he went into law. So I asked him, if you didn't go into law, what would what would you have gone into? And he said, I would have gone into marine biology. So just knowing that, you know, I get to carry on his dream to be a marine biologist, <laughs> share, share my stories with him these days, because growing up, he he was part of the marine option program at UH Manoa. He has been up to the north, northern western Hawaiian Islands at least twice as well, helping with, um, you know, the marine assessments up there. And so growing up, he would share stories of that with me. But now I get to share my stories with him. But what's oh. funny is that every time I shared with him my stories, he always had something better to share. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. It sounds like you have a wonderful uh, connection with your with your father. Uh, when you say all of you, how many siblings do you have? I have six siblings. So I have four sisters and two brothers. I am the third eldest in the group. So the house has always been very loud and chaotic, and you know, tough love, but <laughs> they are my my biggest supporters and number one fan, always keeping me in check. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, what do you remember about your first dive? It was in Honolulu. My first dive, it was just, I was just so blown away how the water the ocean is just so full of these unique looking creatures. And the, it reminds me of, I always explain this to people who always ask, should I, should I get diving certified? I'm like, you absolutely should highly recommend that I always use Dr. Seuss. It's like the ocean is a Dr. Seuss world where everything is, it's so colorful and vibrant and life. It just makes you so curious about like, <sighs> Why do they look like this? How do they get their colors? And it just makes you appreciate the beauty of what this world has to offer. What made you decide to take that passion and turn it into formal education? Yeah, so in high school, 
Um, I knew I wanted to go into environmental studies first. I mean, I did have a strong upbringing in the ocean, but I guess because I, you know, growing up and hearing about all these environmental issues on land as well, I was like, oh, which way do I go, marine or terrestrial? So when I went to Chaminade University of Honolulu for my undergraduate studies, I participated in summer internships. And my first summer, I I studied fish um, around Kaneohe Bay, looking at ornamental fish trade. And then I was like, okay, so I have that experience. Next summer, I'm going to do the terrestrial. And so that the next summer, I went to Costa Rica to study frogs. <laughs> <laughs> and so after those two summers, I'm like, okay, time to evaluate. And uh, frogs are cool, okay? Frogs are cool, but... I was like, I, I felt more happy and more at home and it felt right <laughs> to be in the ocean. And so after those two internships, that's when I knew, okay, I'm going the marine route. How important was education in your family? Oh, very, very important. My dad always, my parents were very good. They They never pushed it on us. They just always said, you know, my dad always said, education is the key to success. They never scolded us or, you know, they weren't strict. They gave us the space we needed to really decide for ourselves. So in college, um, you know, in high school, graduating, they didn't say, go to this college or do this, major in this. They, like I said, they gave us the space to decide, to determine what what route, what major we wanted to do. But I, we were always reminded, you know, the farther you go with your education, the more doors of opportunities will open for you. And so that always stuck out to me. Um, so going, I, I also didn't plan on going to a PhD program. Um, I I didn't even know that you can go into a PhD program straight from undergrad. So I, I was, after my bachelor's, I was like, okay, what do I do next? If if I don't get into graduate school, I'm going to go do Peace Hi. Corps. So I applied to, like, I applied to master's program and then a PhD program because someone told me that I can skip. And so I was like, okay, why not try it? And so I did. And I got rejected from the master's program. And so the PhD was the last. And I was like, okay, I got rejected from the master's. So there's no way I'm going to get accepted into a PhD program. That is why I started my Peace Corps application. Because I'm like, <laughs> okay, if graduate school is not for me this year, I'm going to go somewhere. You know, I'm going to let the universe choose where I'm going to be in the next year to just go and, you know, do some good in the world. But the PhD. The acceptance letter came in last. And so I was like, oh my God, all right. I guess this is it for me for the next eight years. <laughs> and so that it it be, yeah, the adventure begun. So the PhD route mm. wasn't always for me, but honestly, all the I had great mentors and role models during my undergrad who really helped me take the right directions and participate in all these summer internships. During my undergrad, I, I was in an internship every summer. And because of those experiences, I got to really develop my research skills, expand my network. And that really set me up so well to be accepted into the PhD program. So yeah, I, I, I thank all my mentors and teachers and supporters along the way because 
I wouldn't have thought that I would would mm. ever go this far, even plan to be in a PhD program. But I always believe, you know, the universe always has plans for you. And I guess, you know, I always just go with the flow and see where the winds take me and yeah, just adjust my sails whichever way if need. And life has been great. I cannot complain. Life has been so great. And I've been so blessed and lucky to have amazing opportunities come knocking on my door. And so that's what I always say to kids, you know, work hard. Um, somebody out there is going to recognize your hard work and they're, they're going to see the potential they have in you. And once you get to that point, you know, you don't have to go looking for opportunities. Opportunities are going to come looking for you. You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with Dr Nicole Yamasee, who became the first Pacific Islander to reach the deepest known part of the ocean in 2021. Nicole, what makes that sub-dive to Challenger Deep so dangerous? So you are going to the deepest part of the ocean in the whole world. Limiting factors. So there are limiting things, limited light, limited oxygen. You are going in a machine that is basically holding your life. And if anything goes wrong, that's basically it. You would turn into dust immediately because of the the 16,000 psi the pressure would just crush you immediately i think lots of people are having flashbacks to what happened with the recent titanic submersible were you scared at all i was honestly i was not scared to go down I told my mom I was going down and she started crying, but she thought I was going to be at the bottom of the ocean for the whole 10 days that I was gone. But I was like, no, I'm just going to be down there for, well, I'll be underwater for 10 hours. And she goes, oh, okay. But <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I wasn't scared at all. It was more of, wow. I was more scared about, you know, being the first person, the first Pacific Islander to go down and, representing not only Micronesia, but the whole Pacific. I was just scared of, it was that mentality of, am I the right person? Is there someone out there who could be, who could do a better job than I can? Or really it was the question of, am I enough? And so I, I talked to family and friends and, you know, they just said, just be you, just, Whatever you do will be enough for everybody. And so, you know, that brought me a lot of comfort knowing that, you know, that I am, I am enough, that I, sh I am, I, I should be here. I, I should be here to represent and, you know, all my hard work and all, you know, my upbringing, everything, all my experiences, my childhood, everything has come to this. This is what mm -hmm. I was preparing for. This was the dive of my life. Absolutely. You are more than enough. Oh. So how did the journey actually come about? So at that time, I was um, a scholar for the Bill Rainer Micronesia Challenge Scholarship, and it was through the Micronesia Conservation Trust, who works with the, the Weight Institute. Uh, Victor Vescovo went to Challenger Deep 11 times, and he realized, okay, it's time to bring someone 
from the FSM down because it's in their waters. And so he reached out to the Weight Institute who reached out to MCT and asked for someone um, they can recommend. And so because I was doing my PhD in marine biology, um, they they recommended, they asked me to go down. Um, uh, this past December, I graduated with my PhD in marine biology. So also being the first to have uh, a PhD in marine biology from the FSM. And so I guess it, they thought it was fitting <laughs> for me to go down <laughs> and represent. Oh, absolutely. What can you do to prepare for a dive like that? Good question. So <laughs> nothing. <laughs> uh, a lot of people asked me if I had to go through some grueling training to go down in the limiting factor. But honestly, um, all they, all Victor asked was, are you claustrophobic? And I said, no. But then later I asked, how would I know if I was claustrophobic? But oh well. (laughs) But other than that, yeah, no training. Um, Before we got into the limiting factor for the actual dive, Victor also, uh, we we practiced getting in and out of the submersible because it's Mm. such a small, um, small space. um, We had to learn how to go in and out of the, the portal. What did you decide to take with you when you went down there? Okay, so I took a few things. Actually, I took a bunch of things. The funny story was, it's based on weight, the limiting factor. And so they took my weight, they took Victor's weight, and they go, Nicole, you're not heavy enough. You know, I was like, oh, okay. So I walked around the ship and asked, like, the crew members, I'm like, what do you guys want me to take? You know, I'll take anything. I'll put some stuff in my bag and take it down. (laughs) I don't know if that made much difference, but... Um, for myself, I took down a maramar. That's a seashell necklace that I wore. Um, seashell necklace, the seashells used to be our currency in Micronesia back in the day. But today, they use it to make beautiful uh, maramars like this and also necklaces and jewelry and handicrafts with it. And then I also brought down pictures of two marine botanists that were really, that I really looked up to. It was Dr. Isabella Abbott, who was the first Native Hawaiian to receive a PhD in any sciences during her time. And she was the basically the queen of limu. Limu is the, the Hawaiian word for seaweed. So she was known as the first lady of limu. And she was my advisor's advisor. So basically, that's my academic grandmother. And um, Dr. Roy Suda, he was also uh, a marine botanist at the University of Guam. And he has contributed so much to uh, seaweed in, in the region and across the Pacific. And he passed, um, I think, before that December. And so I wanted to bring his picture also in honor of him and his work in, in the Micronesia region. I also brought down a lot of flags. Um, I brought all of the Micronesian flags and I brought all kinds of different flags as well. Um, But I made sure that the Micronesian flags were represented and honored at the bottom of Challenger Deep. The, I think the most, the biggest item that I brought down was the 
model canoe, a small canoe. Um, it was my father's. And so that represented family and, you know, where my passion came from. The canoe also was in honor of Papa Mao, Mao Pialug, who was the Micronesian who retaught the Native Hawaiians how to sail again. Traditionally, sail, sorry, to traditionally navigate again because they lost that ability. And so that was in honor of him. And it was also in honor of culture, of being, coming from this culture, this canoe culture that really provided the foundation of really our livelihoods and how how our culture has been developing across time. Mm. But yeah, I that canoe really symbolized basically everything of what I am, my family, my community, and my cultural heritage. So you've got a bag full of treasures <laughs> and it's just two of you in this small submersible limiting factor you're spending hours going down to the bottom of the ocean. What did you do to fill the time? So on the way down, so it was four hours down, and then we spent two hours exploring the bottom and then four hours back up. So on the way down, um, it was mostly Victor and I chatting, getting to know each other, you know, sharing our life story of how we got to where we are in the limiting factor at this very point. <laughs> And so it was very nice to just chat with him and, you know, just be normal human beings and curious people of the ocean. And then we also spent a little bit of time listening to some music uh, because I'm part Filipino. He asked, what what kind of music do you like? I'm like, top 10 karaoke songs. And so um, <laughs> I was like, how about Chicago? Uh and then he's like, okay, okay, I got some songs. So he played um, Dancing Queen by ABBA, um, <laughs> Smoky Mountain Rain by Ronnie Millsap. And then he also played uh, Britney Spears' Hit Me Baby One More Time since I was born. In <laughs> and so he's like, you know, I gotta, be, I gotta be up to date with these songs. I was like, okay, okay. So we did that. <laughs> And then he also like, you know, showed me more of all the buttons and gadgets in the limiting factor. So that took up our time um, going down. As we were exploring, we were just, our heads were just like, well, my head was just glued to the, the window port, just looking outside. And Victor did all the, you know, I didn't touch anything. I think the only button I touched was the button to release the weights to go back up. So that's all I did. Um, he probably let me try and move the, the joystick around, but uh, <laughs> yeah. What could you see out that window? Well, I honestly didn't see much. I What the bottom looked like, it was really like I was on another planet. Very fine sediment with rocks here and there. But, you know, everybody asks if I saw any marine organisms, which I didn't. But I did see like tethers, uh, plastic line at the bottom, laying at the bottom of the seafloor. And so, you know, all that excitement and happiness and pride of being down there. But then when I saw the, the tethers, I was just like, wow. So I felt very disappointed to know that we've We've made our mark at the bottom, the deepest part of the ocean, our 
trash has made it. Um, last year when we went down, um, not we, when Dr. Don Wright went down to challenge it with Victor Vescovo, she saw a beer bottle. And so, you know, just that feeling of disappointment, like what have we done? Look, look at, we've just done so much damage up there on the surface and it's it's come down to the very bottom of the ocean. Mm. It's not what you want to see at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Nicole, how did it feel when you finally reached that deepest point? I couldn't believe my eyes when Victor was like, <laughs> we're here, welcome to the bottom of Challenger Deep. And I kept looking outside the port. I'm like, no way. We're here <sighs> this very moment. But like at that moment, I, I really, I really thought about, you know, my ancestors, navigators who have sailed. And there I was at the very bottom going down vertically. And I was just like wondering, what would my ancestors think to know? Someone made it down vertically to the like to the bottom of the ocean. But I was just thinking of, you know, we've really come a long way. And then I also thought of, you know, family, my family of really supporting me. Because when I said, oh, I'm going to do my PhD. And they're like, how long is it going to be? I was like, I don't know, five to seven years. And they thought I was crazy. But they they supported me. <laughs> mm. They supported me. Really, again, thinking of all my mentors and advisors and community that, you know, helped me along the way. I really wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for them. How much did it hit you that you just made history? You know what? I <laughs> There was so much that was happening at that time. Like I was in graduate school. I was trying to finish up my field work. I was writing. And so, and then I guess also just the pressure of really, how do I, I was just really focused on how do I represent uh, Micronesia, the Pacific Islands. And I didn't, I think it didn't, re I didn't really think about, whoa, this is going to be a huge historical moment. I thought I was going <laughs> to go down, dive, come back up and go straight back to my field work and riding like back to my normal life. Um, but I guess it hit me when I came back and there were just a lot of, um, media coverage and requests to go talk at schools and do panels and workshops and speeches. And I'm like, whoa, this was actually a pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get to, I get to share our story of what it, what the ocean means to us to be a Pacific Islander and to be at the bottom of our oceans was just, it's still so surreal to me you know there's a big difference between someone who studies the ocean versus someone who is of the ocean and it's also this mentality the perspective of the deep ocean where uh, to many people the ocean is viewed as dark deep scary uh, mysterious but to pacific islanders it's the opposite this is where magic is this is where life was Form. This is where our islands were pulled out of. This is what our legends talk about. And 
you know, if someone goes down to the ocean, they'll probably feel like they're being swallowed by darkness. But to me, I felt that I was getting the biggest hug ever from the ocean. Ah, and you were the first Pacific Islander to get to Challenger Deep. Surely, Nicole, your dad can't top that story. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Maybe he's saving something. (laughs) He has something in his pockets. He's waiting to just pull it out. Finally, Nicole, how do you feel today when you hear Dancing Queen by ABBA? Oh, my goodness. That song. (laughs) Every time I hear any of the songs, I literally get flashbacks of me just sitting in front of that blue window. That's all. Mm. When the song comes on, I'm just, I'm just, I see Victor and I see the oxygen tanks. I see all the buttons and I see that window. The window uh-huh. where I, I saw the, the bottom for the ever for the first time. Mm. Nicole, thank you so much for being bold and paving the way with so many firsts. Thank you. That was ocean scientist Dr Nicole Yamasi, the first Pacific Islander to reach the deepest known part of the ocean. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. You'll also find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people.